Welcome to Loathsome Things, a horror movie podcast. Uh, my name is John, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Josh. Josh, how are you doing on this rainy day? I'm doing well. Uh, for the people in the audience, it's Super Bowl Sunday. The That's Super right. Bowl hasn't happened yet. We don't know how this amazing Joe Montana-centric game will go, but uh, the world is very excited about Taylor Swift being on an airplane for a really long time. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, come on. Is she going to make it? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you, John? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a little hectic over here at uh, Casa John, but uh, we, we're doing like some pre-spring spring cleaning. I don't know. My son is basically living with us, so... Uh, we've been having to make some, you know, space for him in the spare bedroom, which we were basically using to store crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's good. I mean, it's forcing me to uh, get rid of a, a whole shit ton of stuff in our closet. So that's what we'll be doing after the show. And I can't wait. <laughs> oh, that does sound good. <laughs> no, nothing says fun like cleaning house. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love there there's I don't know what it is. I, I I don't I don't know what segment of people you have to be, but there is definitely a segment of people where there's the house and there's the extra room and that extra room is basically the house closet. And uh, it's it's really a treat. My uh, the house we currently live in does not have a house closet. And so the room that I use as my office kind of has become the de facto house closet. For example, behind me right now is the treadmill that no one uses and the uh, <laughs> box of air conditioning filters. <laughs> is that like a fold up table behind you against the uh, door? That? No, no, I see that's oh. the workout thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, leftover from Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's, yeah, the fold-up table that uh, won't go anywhere. There's nowhere, it, it doesn't go anywhere. Eventually, I'm going to replace it because that is an eight-foot-long folding table. And currently, my computer setup resides on a six-foot folding table. So just as soon as I clean off this situation and feel like transposing computer equipment, I will upgrade my computer desk to eight feet wide. Two extra feet. What could I possibly do with it all? <laughs> you take your car to Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where My that friend. came from. <laughs> <laughs> the depth deep inside. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, well... Now that our audience has listened to the the depths of what is going on inside the organizational principles in our living situations, John, what movie are we watching today and why? Well, as we had mentioned in the previous episode when we did Candyman, the, the redo, sort of, whatever, I'm going to move on. Uh, we did that. Candysman. Uh, yeah, Candyman. Uh, we did that in celebration of Black History Month. So to close out Black History Month, we are not going to go with the racist feature that I originally selected and will indeed be going for a film from 2001, uh, I believe 2001, by the name of His House, direct 2020, 
2001. What the hell am I talking about? Um, <laughs> made by uh, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick. It's called... No. Uh, yeah. It's called His House by Remy Weeks. Weeks. Yeah. I still don't know how to say it. Uh, I it, think it's Weeks. Yeah. It's a... Yeah. Uh, it, it it's a pretty heavy uh heavy duty story um about two south sudanese refugees who come to england uh and some horrible shit that happens in the i don't know what it is it's like a council flat that they basically get assigned um yeah some sort of shitty flat in essex and uh we'll get into it but it's uh it's a great film. I've seen it, of course, several times now. Uh, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but man, I, get, I like it more each time I see it. So it's going to be fun. It'll be fun to talk about. Probably won't be real funny. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's not a lot of humor here. Not a lot of humor, but it does. Uh, it I think it does fit pretty well with Black History Month. Although, of course, Black History Month in our case, we're talking about the United States, but uh, it's okay. I think we can we can deal with the British movie uh, to celebrate yeah. Black History Month because otherwise my yeah. selections were going to be silly shit like Blackula, which don't get me wrong, oh. but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we probably should cover Blackula anyway at some point, but absolutely. But yeah. And I think, I think this movie, like, it is a British movie, and but I, I think, I think it still applies. It gets some points across. Sure. I mean, it 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 touches on some. Heavy stuff. Like I said, we'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Remy Week's first motion picture. Yeah. His uh, first, or I should say his first feature film. Uh, it doesn't look like he's working on anything else. Like it didn't have anything in the old pending jar. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but this was, this was a pretty big deal. Like it, it got a lot of positive response. It mm -hmm. was really well made. So I don't, I don't know what's next for Remy. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he'll make more horror films cause he's, he's good at it. And I guess we'll just see. I, I, yeah. It's really weird. I mean, he's, he really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot, uh, made a music video and he directed one episode yeah. of, uh, some special horror thing that was made for Halloween and, uh, a couple short films. And then this, yeah. So. Maybe he just has a really nice non-movie job. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That could be. Who knows? It could be. Uh, this movie uh, stars, and I, I looked up how to pronounce it because I felt like I wasn't getting it. It's pronounced Shope Deresu. Oh, thank God you uh, looked that up because I would have never said Shope. Yeah, Shope Deresu is, uh, he's been in a bunch of British TV uh, and movies that I've never heard of, yeah. um, but some of them look interesting. Like there's this movie called The Colony, and I was like, "Oh, I haven't seen anything about that, but it looks good." Mm -hmm. uh, and he's great in this, and also won me. Mo I also looked up how to Masaku. Yeah, Masaku. Yeah, one 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 me Masaku as Rial. Uh, she was in Lovecraft Country, and she played the voice of Azzy in Scavenger's Reign, which if you haven't seen Scavenger's Reign, you should go watch that, because it's I, I have not. Both of them had uh, at least tiny roles in uh, an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, Mosaku was also mm -hmm. in Loki and Luther. Uh, and then, then uh, 
Chope uh, or Duresu was also in uh, his Dark Materials. I think he was in a couple episodes of that. So, so nice. I don't know what I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Off to a great start, uh, and of course, yeah, yeah. We've we've got this down. We're we're good at this. We're good at the recording. We're good at the post-recording part. <laughs> Anyone that listened to our last episode knows how good of an audio editor I am. Absolutely nailing everything. <laughs> Running on all cylinders. <laughs> uh, we have Matt Smith in here as Mark. Matt Smith, as you know, is Doctor Who and also uh, like the Prince of England in The Crown and also the Prince of... Westeros or whatever in uh, the fucking uh, House of the Dragon, and also the Prince of Soho in Last Night in Soho. Yeah, he's uh, he's a princely dude, and uh, yeah. it's good to see him here. He's he does a great job. I mean, he he gets about as close as you're going to get to humor um, in this film. Yeah, uh, and then oh, also of course the film has Javier Botet. Who, oh man! Uh, is whenever you need something creepy looking, they bring in this guy, which I've now I was waiting for it. I finally found an article where they talk about you know perhaps it's inappropriate to keep using this guy every single time we need someone that we consider creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, why don't you ask him? He's the one taking the roles. <laughs> But uh, I, I who, get the point, though. It was somebody who had the same medical condition. Botet has a... He's a Spanish actor. He has a, a medical condition that, that basically... It, the result is, as far as his appearance, is that he's excessively tall and skinny. He has very long fingers, and uh, that lends itself well to, for instance, Mama, where, you know, the creature is a ghost of a mother, you know, who's tormented and... Uh, you know, all they have to do is slap some makeup and a costume on him, and he looks disturbing. <laughs> oh, I had no idea that that was going on. I knew that he was Dracula in The Last Voyage of the Demeter and Crooked Man in the Conjuring franchise. I didn't realize. I thought he was just like the other Andy Circus, where if you need a guy to do, like, cool body acting, you call him. I didn't realize he was, uh, it was like that. That kind of sucks, but, you know... Uh, Hollywood, yay. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he and Guillermo del Toro have a pretty good relationship. I mean, he's, he was, I guess he was the executive producer to del Toro on Mama. And, uh, of course, he directed Crimson Peak and Botet was the, the creature in that. Very similar in appearance to the one in Mama. But, you know, hey, I digress. Yeah, he was also one of his earliest appearances was in the original movie Wreck, that uh, cool high rise Spanish uh, zombie That's uh, right. disaster movie. He was yeah. in all three wrecks, actually. Oh, shit. I know. I had no idea. Yeah, he was in Alien Covenant, The Revenant, and don't forget, he was in Sheeple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Which is actually good, oddly enough, with a name that stupid. It's actually a pretty good movie. Now, after you've mentioned it, I cannot tell you the number of times that the cover of the film 
satanic Hispanics has come up, like, while I'm just looking for other things. I'll just be, like, on uh, Just Watch, and I'll look at things, and then, oh, there it is, satanic Hispanics. It's right there. And it looked, you know, I mean, of course, when I heard the name, I was like, that's just terrifying. But uh, I saw the trailer, and the trailer fucking smokes, man. The movie (laughs) looks like a lot of fun. (laughs) Maybe we'll have to pull that one up one of these days. (laughs) That's a see it first movie. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right, buckle up, folks, because this one is depressing. All right. (laughs) Bol, Rial, and Nyagak uh, cram themselves into a refugee boat at night. There's way too many people in the boat. They can't all fit. It's a motorboat. It's night. It's in the open ocean. The uh, Rial leans down and tells Nyagak, I'll protect you. But then the broke the boat breaks down and we see everyone swimming in the open ocean. And we see Nyagak yelling, Mama, as she slowly, maybe, maybe not, maybe, probably drowns. Skip forward, we find out a year later, Bull and Rial are living in a English refugee detention facility. Uh, they... Today is the day that they're getting released on bail. There are conditions where they must make weekly reports. They are going to be given 74 pounds a week, and they can't get jobs or in any way supplement that income. And they're going to be assigned a house uh, that they cannot move from or live anywhere else other than. And if they break any of these conditions or anything else, they will be sent back to... South Sudan, where people are getting massacred. Hooray for the way that that works. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They are dropped off, very unpleasantly dropped off, in front of a set of what can only be called English hooligan row homes. Um, (laughs) Matt Smith is there. His character is Mark. He calls it a palace It's bigger than his own house, he says, and as he opens the front door, it falls off of the hinges. Uh, They walk through the house. Everything is broken. The lights don't work. This doesn't work. The stove doesn't work. Everything's terrible. Everything's covered in roaches. Everything looks run down and trash and garbage and just stinky, stinky, stinky. But then again, it's England, so maybe it doesn't smell because they don't have the problems that we have here. But if that house was anywhere near the general American Central Southwest, it would be a real stinky, stinky place. Uh, Who knows what things smell like in England? Who can say? Oh, everything in England smells great. Yeah, it's just boiled water everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) He gives them a care package with like sponges and shit in it he says uh he gives them kind of good advice but also kind of like microaggression racism advice to make it easy for people to get along with them and then at night bull starts to hear things crawling around and humming in the walls and uh in kind of a fugue state of like post-traumatic stress renovation he starts peeling all of the wallpaper off of the walls because things are creeping (laughs) behind them nice yeah (laughs) yeah he's so yeah he's uh basically frenzied in his uh peeling ification uh meantime uh rial wakes up and uh she we see her she's gonna she starts cleaning up and stuff and immediately she hears a little voice behind her saying mommy uh mama 
she's opens up a cabinet door and in, in her mind, I assume she sees a whole group of like refugees basically pressing up against the bars of like a cage of some sort, some sort of a cage. Um, yeah. Ball goes out, buys a hammer, and uh, to add to his what will basically growing collection of tools yeah. that he's using to uh, you know supposedly to fix up the place. Anyways, Rial leaves the house. Uh, she's on her way. She's looking for some place called Church Street. Uh, she gets bugged by some kid who's like, "Oh man, hello, excuse me, man, hello, hello," <laughs> and then he she just pisses off, and then. Uh, she gets stuck in this weird urban hell maze of like cinder block w- walls that are painted white and keeps walking back and forth by, by, in front of the same gate with a barking dog. And yeah, it's very claustrophobic. It's 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 a really great shot because she's outside and you can see, you know, some skyscrapers in the background. And yet she's just completely trapped in this thing. It was really cool. Um and uh, so she's kind of lost, and then eventually she finds a group of uh, of black children playing in a in a kind of a clearing, a paved clearing, and they're complete douchebags. They're just like, oh, the hello, governor, hello, <laughs> bloody hell, fuck off. And you know, then of course she goes up to ask them directions, and they're 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 just like giving her a hard time, and you know, no, I, f- I think it's this way. Yeah, it's this way, love. That's right. Fuck off. And then, you know, then she's like, whatever. And then as she's going to leave, uh, you know, to follow their shitty directions, one of them says, go back to fucking Africa, man. Oh, which is yeah. very strange. And then they're mocking her accent, which it's like they all have <laughs> they all have African accents as well, which I just thought was kind of weird. But no, I guess not as thick as hers. So, yeah, great. Um <laughs> She's at some sort of a clinic. She's like giving blood and she's talking to the lady and telling her some of the some she's basically telling her about how she got the scars on her face. She's she's got scarification markings. Um she starts talking about how they quote lost their girl uh crossing the sea and uh then after that whole interaction she goes home and uh she looks out the window and sees some random chav female peeing in their barren garden and here's some girl go i think someone's living there and the other girl goes whatever and like (laughs) walks away uh it's great uh a bunch of fruit that she's just purchased falls to the ground and uh one of the pieces of fruit rolls basically by her towards this giant gaping hole in the wall uh that her husband has made bull uh, she hears creepy voice, uh, and uh, y- you know there's some there's some creepy business going on. Uh, Bull comes home. It's after dark. She's got dinner waiting for him on the floor, uh, which is you know kind of like their setup. She's got you know like a cloth of some sort, and he's late, and uh, he's basically being a douche and says you know well l- let's use the table next time, and. Uh, <laughs> They eat their dinner, and he's kind of hopeful about getting a job and uh, drops a little line in there about starting a new family, which creates a huge amount of tension. Uh, he mentions that he's he's feeling restless, which, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you? He's got no life whatsoever here in England. 
Uh, Riel tells a story to him that she had, I think her mother, she had said, had relayed to her when she was a little girl about a, a creature called a night witch or an, an apeth. 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 Opeth. Yeah. Otep. Now, this creature is, is uh, you know, one, it basically, when somebody builds a home, uh, the apeth is in the home ushering in the dead to come in and consume this this man who builds this house. And uh, she tells she tells Bull that the Apeth is in their house and that it wants them to leave to repay their debt because of the the their dead child Nagayak or something like that. Nayak Niagak or something. Fuck, I forget. I completely ruined it. Anyways. <laughs> it's okay. um, yeah, so he in order to get their kid kid back, you know, they, they need to leave or whatever she says essentially and his bowl is like she's gone my love she's gone uh you know he gets kind of raises his voice like she's dead you know like get over it um of course he's not over it either he's just being a tool um he denies that there's a witch and um she says that she knows he's lying because she can see it in his eyes and she already knows that it's it's already there the witch um so we see bowl peeling more paper we hear creaky door noises that kind of stuff he feels like a, a voice, like breath on the back of his neck and hears a female voice. Um, he starts seeing ghosts, really cool looking ghosts. Um, there's a really great jump scare uh, with one of the ghosts. This candlelight that he has because the wiring in the house is all jacked uh, gets blown out and we see this rocking figure, which we assume is Niagak, uh, rocking back and forth with this totally fucking badass mask on. Hell yes. Um, and then she gets up and attacks him with this enormous knife. And uh, he's like surrounded by like voices and Yaga business going on. And he completely runs outside to escape the situation. And he looks up and sees his creepy neighbor staring down at him and gives her this ridiculous like fake ass <laughs> smile. That was pretty funny. Like he's just like, hey, <laughs> nothing strange happening here. Uh Rial sees that he's super alarmed, and she says, you saw it. Uh, he finds uh, the baby doll that beyond, be, belonged to Nyagak. He freaks out, and uh, he wants to now destroy everything that they've brought with them because he thinks these items are cursed and marked. He even goes so far as to very aggressively tear her necklace off. Yeah. Um, and then torches all the, you know, Nyagak's clothing and the you know, just basically torches all her stuff, you know. Everything that they brought with them from Sudan, like everything that they had left from home. Yeah, because somehow, because that's what the ghost is after. It's after all their shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not after them. They might as well just burn them, them. Um, But then the movie would be over and really depressing. So um, instead, he uh, (laughs) heads out to this really sanitary looking white shopping center um, there's some, I guess, I'm assuming it's like a loss prevention guy that's basically just, yeah, just eyes locked on him. He's there to pick out some clothes, uh, you know, to do like job interviews and he, uh, he has no idea what to buy. So he looks up on the wall and there's one of those stupid giant photos of like a family, like, Hey, we're excited. And so he picks this polo shirt and some pants, like the first pants off the rack, basically. Um. He gets home, he's like digging in the wall, tearing, wiring out or whatever. He hurts his hand on something. Uh, gets the place rewired, kind of. And uh, 
then he sees Rial. She's talking to something uh, at the kitchen table. There's nothing there. At dinner, uh, he says they're going to find her something to do in the community so she can go out and interact uh, instead of just sitting in the house going crazy like both of them are doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she she wants to tell him what the, uh, the thing was telling her. He doesn't want to hear it. Uh, she tells him anyway that uh, it can get uh, Niagak back and uh, that she needs to be afraid of Bull um, because he's dangerous towards her. Uh, but he's very defiant. Uh, and then we see him. He's at the table by himself eating. The camera pulls back. Suddenly we get this amazing shot of him basically on a broken out chunk of kitchen wall and floor and him sitting at the table floating on the on, on the sea with like orange light, like sunlight or whatever. Um, it's very foggy and uh, he starts seeing ghosts popping up in the fog and, and corpses floating in the water. He falls into the water and then these ghosts are all rising up and coming towards him and then suddenly he wakes up sitting in bed freaking the fuck out <laughs> as, as would anyone. <laughs> Great scene. Oh man, it, it it really is good. All of all of that like ocean ghost stuff is is like, was like wow. There's also this and, great stuff. I think it's even the cover where it's like him sitting at the table and and the walls are gone around him. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's really well done. Yeah. So so at this point he just starts tearing down the walls all the way before he was being a little bit like oh, i'll make a little hole here and oh i'll just take off the there there's a, a scene that we that i glazed over where there's just a pane of of like wallpaper that like icky slides off of the wall and he's like oh well then i must take all the wallpaper off so now he starts really getting after it because, uh, I mean, the, the walls are literally full of ghosts. So then the next day he goes to visit Mark and ask for a new house. Uh, one of, like All of the guys in the office are like shooting him little dirty glances. One of the guys says, it's bigger than my house. And uh, also, Bull is acting pretty crazy. He has, he has a glass of orange juice that he crushes in his hand. And uh, this ends up ending in a stalemate where then later Mark comes to visit the house to do basically a wellness check. He brings some other little shit dude with him. Um, and they're like, well, this is bad. And, and uh, Bull is like, no, 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 it's fine. Just just give me a break. And they're willing to. But before they leave, Rial tells them about the Apeth. And uh, Mark warns them to get their act together. And then after they leave, the the uh, Rial and Bull are talking together and she calls the agents poor and lazy and bored. And I was like, ooh, I feel called out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, later, Rial says she's going to leave and uh, he... Like, he's going, he's gone all the way crazy. He's, he's just gone ballistic at this point. So she says that she's going to leave whether or not he does and he won't let her. So he proceeds to lock her in the house. We see him going around and breaking the handles off of the doors so that they are secured shut. And she now cannot leave. So she is now trapped in the house with him while he goes crazy. Next, he lights a candle, a candle and communes with the Apeth. Uh, 
uh, it tells him he stole his life and it wants him to kill himself. He declines. And at this point, uh, after a little bit of uh, nonsense, uh, Rial ends up stabbing Bull in the leg with a screwdriver so that she can escape. She does escape and then encounters, very soon after leaving the front door, encounters a group of women from her hometown who are hanging out in a schoolhouse. They welcome her, they celebrate her arrival, and she sits on the floor with them as they comfort her. And then she realizes that they are just dreams and asks them where her daughter is. And they all just look at each other and then look back at her and say, Who? And then we get a flashback, and this is going to carry over into John's part. Rial hid in a cupboard, we come to find out, in the schoolhouse that we now see her in. We, we're flashing back to Sudan. Bull comes and find her where she was hiding in the cupboard in the schoolhouse. When she comes out of the cupboard because she hears his voice, she looks around and all of the other women in the schoolhouse have been massacred around her while she was hiding in the cupboard. It's super fucked. Uh, we then follow Bull and Rial as the two of them uh, hide on rooftops and sneak through the night as the war ravages the landscape and the people around them. There's really upsetting shots of people on fire and it's just all bad. It's, yeah, it's uh, pretty heavy stuff. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty fair portrayal of, of what these people these people and countless others have had to deal with. And it's um, happening right now. Yeah. South Sudan is still a mess. So they, they, it, it basically switches today, you know, and now they're, I guess the, the, you're basically supposed to understand that this is more of a flashback scene than a fantasy scene. Cause it kind of goes back and forth, which I think yeah. it handled really well. Um, they arrive at a spot where a bunch of people are being loaded onto a bus to get, you know, taken to port, I assume, you know, you assume they're getting taken, well, they're taken away to be refugees. Um, they're not allowed to get on the bus because they don't, they don't have a child with them. So there's, because there's no more room. Uh, so they basically just grab a little girl and take her on the bus with them, leaving the mother running behind the, the bus, screaming for her daughter and the daughter, Niagak, screaming for her mother and suddenly you realize they don't have a child. They basically abducted one as their ticket out of the country. And as we know, the child ends up drowning. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty heavy reveal. Pretty brilliant uh, piece of writing, I thought. It was very yeah. clever. Uh, the scene is absolutely heartbreaking. It's... <laughs> I'm really glad that I was watching it academically because the first time I watched the film, it fucked me up pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, out of all of the movies that we've watched, this is the one where you're most likely to cry. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, if, if that's... Yeah, if you're cool with horror movies, but you're, you have a hard time with really intense emotional family stuff, this movie is going to fuck you up. Um but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways. Uh, so, and you assume that, you know, this little girl's mother is going to get uh, shot or whatever. I mean, her, yeah. her fate is not great. Um, so now they're on a boat. They're on, they're, it's rough seas. It's at night. 
they're all packed on this this horrible fucking boat. Uh, it capsizes. Um, Niagak drowns. Yeah. Uh, essentially is sacrificed for their survival. Uh, essentially, um, the we we go back. We see that uh, Rial is now back in the schoolroom uh, with the old woman that is that she's kind of had been communicating with in the earlier scenes. Um, the creature, uh, you hear its voice basically promising her if she severs Bull's flesh with a knife, this huge knife that the old woman hands her, uh, then Nyagak will uh, be returned. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a shit deal, like, because yeah. it's coming from a witch. But, you know, whatever. So, she uh, she wakes up, uh, she's out in the rain. Well, she com- when, when she comes to, essentially, she's laying outside of the flat in the rain. Uh, she's come back. Bull picks her up, brings her inside. Uh, they're sitting in the, at, she's sitting on one side of the table, he's sitting on the other. The knife is on the counter, she's eyeballing the knife. Uh, she hears the the little girl's voice pleading for her mother. Um, gets up and heads to the sink, and kind of turns her back to Bull. And you can hear him grab the knife. She turns around. He's now slashed his arm open. He has a huge gaping slash in his arm. He's you know, and the intent is he's going to summon Apeth to save uh, the little girl. Uh, he blames himself for everything that's happened and. He tells his wife that he's, you know, he sees all the ghosts from the boat, all the people from the boat and from home, all the victims of this nightmare, which, of course, he is in no way responsible for, though he is responsible in some sense for the death of the little girl, sort of. <laughs> they were trying to get her on the boat anyway. But um, so he, he feels incredibly guilty and uh, he tells her to go away because Apeth is coming. Uh, she leaves the room. And the room, and meanwhile, starts shaking and rattling and coming apart. Obviously, this this thing is showing up. The lights start to flicker. Uh, Apeth crawls from a out of a hole that basically busts open in the floor, and there's like black soil or sandy yeah. soil. Its arm comes out, pulls itself up out of the the hole, and uh, stands up and is is huge, like extremely tall and skinny and very creepy looking. With yeah. Kind of glowing, like glowing pupils. It's really cool looking. Uh, it climbs on top of Bull and starts digging its fingers into his arm wound, basically like entering his body. And and it's really intense. Yeah. Uh, Rial is muffling her cries in the other room. Uh, it's it's rough. Uh, Nyagak appears, uh, takes Rial's hand. And she's now kind of thinking back, seeing back to the scenes before. Um, she's, you know, returning Niagak home, uh, saying goodbye to the ladies because she's going home. And then as Apeth is about to um, devour <laughs> Bull, all of a sudden Rial comes up from behind him with that huge kitchen knife and cuts its throat. And uh, it basically falls to the ground, bleeding out. Cut from that scene to Mark, the Matt Smith character, and his co-workers. They're at the flat now. The walls have been patched up. You know, there's light inside there. It, it still looks rough, but it looks much, much improved from where it was before. 
<laughs> Bol and Rial are just kind of standing there hand in hand. It's it's kind of like everything's fine now. Yeah. And <laughs> this guy, they've got this guy taking photos of the patched walls. And uh, Mark says, you seem well. Is there still a witch? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Bol says, Rial killed it. <laughs> and then she she says to Bol, I think I might paint this room red. <laughs> and then uh, Mark asks them about the, the, the rats. And uh, there's this whole thing about, you know, Bol, like, claim, Bol says that, you know, well, I was just being overdramatic. You know, yeah. That's, that's, and, uh, it, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. And then he, he talks to Rial and he says, you know, that the, the, or no, I think he says it to Mark that the the ghosts never leave; that they they live with you, and um, that he could face himself now because he let them in. I guess he's just telling Rial that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because those guys have pissed off now, and uh, Rial says this is our home. So she's now accepted that they are going to start this new life there. Uh, they are freed of this burden, you know, of of guilt that they they felt for the death of this child bull adds uh we are happy here then the council folks leaves yeah i guess they were still yeah, yeah. there yeah you know it's all good yeah. real and bull see niagak basically standing in front of them uh, she is surrounded by a bunch of the ghosts of the others which you know they don't they're just they just look like the actual people they don't look you know like ghouls anymore um, then we see a shot of Rial and Bol. They are also surrounded by, uh, I guess you'd say, what? The happy ghosts? Content ghosts? Uh, yeah, the ghosts of a variety of refugees. Yeah, yeah. She reaches over, Rial reaches over, takes Bol's hand, and that's the end of the film. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, I like this. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that... Heavy. Uh, yeah. The scene with the where the apeth is digging his hand into like it, it it's like he's trying to put on Bull's hand like a glove and he's just like having the best time. He's just like shoving his hand in there. He's like <laughs> just having so much fun. I was like, wow, that is very intense. And you can see his like fingers moving around trying to stretch through the flesh. It's top notch stuff. <laughs> Yeah, very effective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, you want to go ahead, we write the movie and then talk to talk about why? Yeah, I uh, I gave this one a five across the board. I loved Dang. it. Um, the first few times I watched it, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think it impacted me as hard. Maybe, you know, after repeated viewings, I was able to kind of, just accept it for what it was and just enjoy it, you know, for what it was and whatever the reason, you know, or maybe it just hit me that way lately, you know, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I gave it, I gave it a five out of five loathsome things. How about yourself? Nice. Um, <laughs> I, so I gave it a 4.2 out of five loathsome things. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the places where it lost me was like, so I guess I should, I'll talk about the bad things first. Um, the ending lost me because I I don't get it. I, I don't get her cutting its neck. Um, I don't get 
who the women were to her because at a certain point it seemed like the the women were a manifestation of the apeth trying to get her to do the thing but then she communed with them in making her decision to kill the apeth and it just didn't it didn't make sense to me the whole thing with the little girl holding her hand and then no i don't get what 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 all was going there i didn't see like while i liked elements of that final scene i didn't get like the whole thing with painting it red there's this whole thing where he where where matt smith is like are you crazy and you can't tell if he's talking about are they crazy or if he's like trying to like jam with them about painting the walls red and then while the visually powerful that the scene with them being surrounded by refugees and talking about letting the ghosts in what the fuck did that even mean it felt completely disconnected from the rest of it 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 just i feel like i feel like they tried he was trying too hard to get the things that he wanted to be in the movie in the movie but not all of them actually connected together like I get why there was the monster there, mm-hmm. but honestly, the monster was awesome, and the stuff leading up to the monster was awesome. It just didn't feel like it actually belonged in this movie. It felt like it, in some ways, detracted from what the movie was trying to do, and there was just a lot of things in there that didn't connect. There is, uh, similar to Candyman, you know, we've got this idea of, like, the the society around you is also a source of danger and that never really manifested here maybe it because it's british instead of american but there are these that you know there's like white people acting weird towards them a lot and and even other black people like british black people acting mm-hmm. weird towards them because they're <laughs> refugees or foreign or whatever but even there there's this scene where like he gets lured into a church where a guys like yeah mm-hmm. i've got something for you and then it just turns out that that guy actually had a care package full of goods and he like hung out with them and sang songs about soccer players so it was just a little bit a little bit off tone like some things didn't land for me but overall it was like super top-notch stuff so yeah so i had i had a few points where it didn't stick the landing but overall i thought the 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 direction was solid the the camera work was fantastic the acting was great the story overall was super impactful i mm-hmm. love it i fully recommend it it's it's great it's just there are were a few things blocking me from getting to all the way up into the five. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I can't, I can't really argue with any of that stuff. I think the, um, for me, I guess I, I kind of viewed it as almost like a uh, fable. So, you know, like a, like a children's story that you probably shouldn't be showing children, but, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because it was, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, just the way that the creature is presented is very fantasy oriented and, and to the yeah. point where, you know, the, the, the story really wants you to believe that they're seeing all these things and that they're, you know, that these, these things are actually happening, happening to them, but it's almost as if they're happening to them just on this fantasy plane that the, the entire story is being told because it's a fable and, you know, which for me gives it a lot more license to, to jump around with weird shit. Like why are they, why is, is Rial suddenly in this 
building with, you know, these these women who I also thought, well, are is this a manifestation of Apeth? Is it, you know, I mean, what are, sometimes it felt like maybe those were scenes that he envisaged in his mind, but he either intentionally left, you know, the the entire like idea of what was behind it open or he was actually confused and didn't know how to portray it properly. None of that stuff really bothered me. If it did, I probably would have rated it somewhere around where you did. But after I was done and, and you know, watching it, as, you know, and, and just sat up with it, I was like, you know, I just really enjoy this movie and I really appreciate it. You know, it's funny, yeah. though, because I probably every other time I watched it, I would have rated it lower. You know, I, I bet I wouldn't have even gotten to a four the first time I saw it just because I want I really just wanted something that was a horror movie and I didn't. You know, just the whole fucking like, oh, there's this thing in the walls and, you know, all. And then let's take this really intense human interest story, but let's dumb it down with horror. But, you know, after seeing it a few times, I just don't give a shit. Like, I just, yeah, I just feel like it works. And and uh, this is a director that considering the relatively limited amount of professional work that he's released, uh he certainly has something really great in him. You know, my five out of five in no way would I rank it as high as some of the, the critics that are saying it's like, you know, that it was like the horror movie of the year or one of the best modern horror movies ever made. That's bullshit. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I just don't, I don't see it anywhere near that, but for our purposes and, you know, I think it, I think for me, it's a five out of five. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think that it it did possibly better than any other horror movie is because because horror pivots on either reduction of or lack of agency. And and Mm -hmm. and he created these two characters that lack almost all agency and then took even a little bit more away from them (laughs) so like most of the characters are like oh no i'm helpless to defeat this monster but these people are refugees in a foreign country they were they were reduced to like some of the the lowest means of human survival like they they had to go through horrible things to just to try to survive then they're put in detention then they're put in these horrible housing situation they're surrounded by people they're in culture shock as well as like post-trauma from what they've witnessed and they have no control over their lives and then motherfucking husband guy goes crazy and now she's just stuck with on top of everything else and no support coming from anywhere she's just stuck even further down into no control over anything i guess maybe that's why it was her cutting the the apex neck is because that was like maybe it was her curse on him i don't know (laughs) i don't know yeah it's hard to say because He's well. He's the one who makes the call with the little girl. Essentially, I mean, he he just grabs yeah. her. She certainly doesn't say no. So I guess they're complicit in that respect. And uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It was like, I mean, you could almost kind of say that her sneaking up behind it just kind of reeked of like a Hollywood trick, you know. But then at the same time, I guess what they're the whole purpose of the film ultimately is about assimilation and how you know how do these refugees e- either continue their lives or build a whole new life 
in a you know in a completely foreign place and i know that that was a huge part of what this film's about if if yeah. not the main thrust of what this film is about um so i mean in that respect i think it was handled really well because the two of like ultimately the husband who acts like a complete dick for a huge part of the movie <laughs> suddenly realizes you know he acknowledges that his grief is dominating his entire existence and he's willing to make this huge sacrifice for her and in honor of this decision that he had made earlier. And then the wife comes in and does what she does. And I guess it's that's kind of a way of both of them reclaiming or claiming finally uh, ownership and, and t t having some sort of agency, but basically saying, as she literally says at the end, this is our home. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think... Yeah, I think that works. I mean, it, you know, again, the first time I saw the movie, the way he acts really pissed me off. And yeah. I, I guess, you know, in, in repeated viewings, I know the boundaries of, of how he acts. And so I'm a little bit more willing to accept, you know, okay, I understand that what he's doing is completely inappropriate. But really, if you think about it, he's a fucking monster the way he treats her. I mean, he's, he's bordering on abusing her. Um, yeah. He's, you know, if, if anything, I mean, he's certainly being emotionally abusive. And also, by the way, her performance in this movie is fucking spot on. She oh is amazing. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, in, a, she, in a movie full of great performances, she is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. She like, oh, man, she can just lock eyes and just stare right through you. She's fantastic. And they have great chemistry together. Yeah, like, they do. Like. It it oh fantastic on all of that. They're they definitely carried this movie. If they weren't competent, this movie would be garbage. <laughs> yeah, this this that this movie, you know, some of it is pretty thin to be to be honest. And yeah, it, it could have it certainly could have gone the wrong way very easily. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there were even a few moments, I don't think it, I, I think maybe it was a flaw of directing, there were a few moments where, like, the tone of their acting didn't really meet the situation. Right. Like, that scene where she's, like, laid out dinner and she's staring at him, but it turns out that she was, like, trying to figure out whether or not he was a liar, but he was, she was also, like, coming at him with the big, like, come hither energy. It, that felt kind of off and weird but it's it's yeah. it's fine it's good i really liked that scene at, right at first in the schoolhouse where they're comforting her i mm -hmm. it brought me back to uh midsummer and that scene where like all of the women are doing like the her breathing to make her mm -hmm. feel better i was like oh mm -hmm. man it's like that i love that like one of my takes on that scene is that she's in this room with like the the spirit of spirits of her people or the spirits of the the feminine, you know, force that that is at the heart of their culture, you know, that she's like with the spirits of elders. But at the same time, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's weird. Like by the end of the movie, it's like is is the is the ghost even or the witch even even evil or is it was it there to basically as a tool to allow them to get beyond their grief? You know, it's it's kind of yeah. kind of odd when you think of it like that. Because uh, we yeah. have a hell of a long way to go for that. <laughs> <laughs> Great monster though, the Apeth with his like his like fold. He's got like 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 old puppy nipples and uh, <laughs> and he's like maggot flesh. He's so good. <laughs> puppy nipples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
That's the sequel, by the way. It's called Puppy Nipples. <laughs> Wee. So that is a 9.2 out of 10 loathsome things. And that, let's see, puts it directly behind... Ooh, I don't know if I feel good about that. It puts it directly behind The Void by Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kostansky. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it misses our top ten by one. That's good. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I it, I think the, vo- the Void was a lot better. Well, it, I, I enjoyed The Void a lot more, but it's also played for fun, you know? Yeah. This movie, yeah. This movie is not fun. <laughs> the Void is a, a much more loathsome thing of a movie. Yes, that's true. We've got a few minutes if you want to talk about other things that you've been watching or doing or hanging out with. I, I'm listening. I'm right in the middle, or, well, I'm in the first third of uh, the Alan Moore, the the comic book writer who wrote The Watchmen and V for Vendetta yeah. and From Hell. Uh, this is a novel that he wrote called Jerusalem which is a semi-autobiographical novel about Northampton, the city that he grew up. Well, no, it's actually technically a town. But anyways, um, it's a 61-hour audio book. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's like over a thousand pages, apparently. But um, nice. it's incredibly well-written. And it's, it's uh, it you know, I was so like getting into it. But then some other books that I wanted to read popped up on my, you know, as being available at the library. So... I did. I quickly blasted out this one called Mexican Gothic by uh, uh, an author named Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, kind of this, yeah, it's a Mexican Gothic tale essentially about crazy shit. Um, can't say much about it without giving it away, but that was a really good book. And I got through some Thomas Pynchon and then started one of his. Which one was it? Mason Dixon and I was Mason and Dixon, and I was just like. No, not ready for this. So I'll stick with Alan Moore. <laughs> How about you? So I uh, let's go ahead and just say spoiler alert uh, on Cobweb. I finally got around mm-hmm. to watching that, and uh, I just wanted to say real quick because you mentioned that you didn't enjoy it. Why wasn't the monster a fucking spider? And how the fuck did a child turn into that just because she was? Yeah, just just from the pain she endured. That didn't make any fucking sense at all. Yeah, fuck that movie. It was real good up to a point. Like, I, I loved the people that oh, they yeah. cast in it. It was, like, the the mystery of it, the ickiness. It was all so fucking good. And then they were just like, and also we have this weird monster that, have you ever seen Netflix try to redo an anime in live action? It's like a one of those. It was, fuck that was movie. Jesus Christ. Lame. It was really lame. I mean... Way to waste a killer performance from Anthony Starr and uh, uh, yes. Lizzie Kaplan. You know they both did a great job in that movie, and they just was it was just ruined. Yeah, that movie pissed that. me off. Yeah, I'm mad now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, that is just oh, it's because it had a spider in its hair. Fuck that! No, <laughs> it was so lame. It was, and it was a cool idea. It was just really badly executed. And it was it was executed really well until it wasn't, and then it was just terrible. Total uh, disappointment. All right, so 
Moving forward, uh, March is one of those magical months where we, we get to release three episodes. So we've been talking it over. We've been thinking about it. Uh, we, we're going to do a three-peat again. I think the last one we did was Carrie or it was, uh, was it Body Snatchers? Body Snatchers. Okay, so that was almost a year ago. So we're doing it again, y'all. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe by the third, we won't be up to it anymore. I'm not <laughs> sure. But we're we're kicking it off uh, two weeks from today with Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring from 1960. And then we're going to follow that up with Wes Craven's 1972 video nasty, The Last House on the Left. And then if we have any stomach left in us, we might also get to the 2009 remake of Last House on the Left. <laughs> I uh, I think I've seen that, actually. It's uh, it's very intense. <laughs> like Which one? Extreme. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I never saw the Craven one. I'm generally not a huge fan of Wes Craven. Uh, maybe my favorite yeah. movie of, of his is... People under the stairs. So, yeah, oh, yes. I mean, I'm not I'm not one to ask. I mean, the dude made Shocker. That movie fucking sucks so bad. And I don't like Scream. I don't like any of those movies. And he made them so he can lick my taint. But um, oh, I've heard that I've heard that Last House on the Left is really intense, and uh, the remake is fucking gruesome. I mean, it's it's not a great film, but it's it's like cringy. Very cringy. Ooh, good. Yeah. 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 I have not seen any of these three. I ha- I know that they are rape revenge movies, so here we go. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know anything about The Virgin Spring except that Bergman made it. And, and I just love that we're going from Ingemar Bergman to um, Wes Craven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been wanting to do an Ingmar Bergman movie since we started. I was like, oh man, there's so many great ones out there. I I wasn't uh, expecting this to be our first Ingmar Bergman movie, but I think it's going to be good. Or possibly we've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) You find out in two weeks whether or not we've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh man. And thank you for listening to the... Our butchering of Black History Month, we had nothing of value to add, so we just talked about some movies and, uh, you know, tried to show uh, our own stupid level of respect for uh, Black America. That, whatever. Yeah. Whatever that's worth, nothing, probably. And uh, pay attention to what's going on in Sudan right now because they are currently committing genocide. Uh, this movie came out in response to to basically a genocide and civil war that had recently ended. And it has since started up again where they're finding entire villages massacred because those people are different. Yeah, it's really awful. Oh, man. But thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh you don't really tune into a podcast, but we are old and grew up watching shows that tell you what. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening to the show. And as always, uh, we're sorry that you have to deal with APEF. Jesus Christ. That was, nice. That was so bad. I liked it. I liked that. <laughs> Stupid.